It seems like far too often we've been discussing terrible situations that involve our kids. And many times that means that other kids need to go back to school and try to process it, try to deal with it. We're trying to have these discussions with kids in our homes. Schools are doing the best they can through guidance counselors and administrators and their teachers to have these discussions at school when it seems appropriate. How do you have the conversation? And what should our schools be doing? And what conversations should they really not be having? Margaret Cedor is a member of the School Safety and Crisis Response Committee for the National Association of School Psychologists. Margaret, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. First off, are there high-level things that parents should be thinking about when this is on the news all the time and you can't just turn the TV off because it's also on social media? People are talking about it. Are there things parents should think about when they have to have conversations with their kids who know what's going on in the world or in our community and it's not great? Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. I mean, obviously, we've had high-profile acts of violence in our community, and that can often uh, confuse and frighten children, and they might feel that they're constantly in danger. So they're going to look to us as adults for information and guidance on how to react. So it's just like when your toddler is learning to walk and they fall down, the first thing they do is they look to parents, right? So when it comes to something as frightening and as intense as this, our our students are going to look to us. So I think first and foremost is just reassuring um, them that they are safe and that adults are here to protect them. And it's um, also important to talk to them about what happened, um, validate their feelings, um, ask things, and they're going to experience a whole host of feelings, so helping them understand here are some different reactions you might have physically, emotionally, behaviorally, socially, and how that might show up, because sometimes they might be scared, like maybe something's wrong with me of how I'm reacting, but um, normalizing those um, different reactions. And having time to talk. Um, My mom always said we're given two ears and one mouth, so really um, being able to listen twice as much as we speak. Sharing space and just opening up that dialogue that you're a trusted person they can talk to. And also making sure the information you do share is developmentally appropriate. Um, Younger kids just need simple information. Older kids might have opinions about what they can do. And also review safety procedures. Um, If you're in a safety concern, what do they do? And is there one adult they can go to if there's a risk or concern? And also monitor them. You know, um, you may look for things that are different than what you typically see. Not every child is going to express themselves verbally. They may show that their changes in behavior, appetite, or sleep patterns might change, or younger kids might regress in their developmental achievements. So just being on a lookout for that and being able to reach out. And I know we can't limit all social media and television, but what we do know is we should minimize that because um, what it may do is just um, per- uh, perpetuate anxiousness, anxiety, confusion, and it may cause more um, intense feelings um, rather than moving towards recovery. A critical thing. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say parents know their children best, but when you, you bring up the point about you know, trying to keep it simple based upon their age and their level of understanding and maturity. We all have children, I'm sure, or know of children that like to ask questions. I have one in my family, as a matter of fact, and she's seven years old, but will always ask questions and then another question and then another question. So that's a tough needle to thread. How do you best go about, you know, kind of communicating what you think is important without divulging too much, knowing that questions are coming? Yes, and and also they're trying to figure out what is reality and what is fantasy, and 
Um, you know, so they need to know that, yes, this happened. And we may not have all the information or um, all the answers, right? But what we do know, I think, is just reassuring their physical safety, first of all. So we have to have that, that the dangers pass and then lean into their psychological safety of, you know, how this might show up for you and what can you do to take care of yourself and, and really educating them. Like even as adults, like when we're under stress, our body will naturally dehydrate. It might impact our sleep. It might impact our, you know, being able to concentrate or get our work done. So um, I think asking questions is really critical, um, but you also don't want to provide too much, especially with, visual pieces like seeing stuff on social media or on TV, we do want to minimize that because that can only further exasperate issues with feeling um, a lack of sense of safety. Margaret Sidor is with us. Uh, what do you do if a kid dies? And we've had that happening in Milwaukee, unfortunately, far too often. And your kids in the classroom, how, how do they deal with that in the classroom? What's the method? What's the most effective way? What should parents expect happens in a classroom when a school's dealing with the tragic loss of a young life? Great question. Thank you for asking that. It's really a partnership between the school, the parents, and the community. The first and foremost is we have teams that are trained in PREPARE, which is our national curriculum. Students have unique um, needs. They're very different from adults, and so we have to be developmentally appropriate. So the first thing is we need to make sure we have the correct facts. And so we have um, training for teams so everyone has their role, and then we also have psychological triage. So after the crisis, then we're going in and making sure that we have information out to parents, to students, and to staff. And then we prepare our educators to have classroom conversations so that we can hear what are the rumors that you're hearing. And then let's make sure we correct it because rumors can actually be more damaging than the facts. But saying here is what the facts are and have them understand here's some common reactions. And we want to avoid sensationalizing it. And we want to help them, what can you do if you are having these different reactions? How can you ensure your well-being and take care of yourself? And then how do you know when there's a need, I need to be able to talk to someone else or there might be lingering issues? So we go into a script where we're also doing psychological triage. So as we're having these conversations, we're also evaluating how kids are responding and those who might need a little bit more intervention either individual or group or long-term care through their private insurance or through um, intensive support. She is Margaret Cedar. She's with the National Association of School Psychologists. You guys do such important work. We're fortunate we have you in our classrooms and our communities. Margaret, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate you bringing this to the community as a conversation. And um, folks can go to naskonline.org for additional information, and there's guidelines and um, scripts and resources for parents and community members and teachers alike.